How does this all end? Have you ever thought about that? Does it end because of climate change, a world war? What happens? What happens when God finally steps in and makes things right? Will it be an act of vengeance or one of compassion? Doomsday scenarios are popular both with religious types as well as the skeptical. It's our nature. It's the way we are. We know we're a violent species, full of wars and rumors of wars. But is that how God will act? As humanity is bent on destroying itself, will God finally finish us off? The story of Jesus' birth answers that question. The first thing the angel said to frightened shepherds was, do not be afraid. And then he went on to say, I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all the people. A number of years ago, I imagined myself and all of us waiting, waiting for God to act, and wondering, is he going to act in vengeance or with compassion? And while we expect doomsday, we hear the good news of God's compassion instead. Twas the night before doomsday. Twas the night before doomsday and all through the land, people just needed someone to lend them a hand. The pundits all said the other parties to blame, and church folks said, you just have to believe and claim. But riots, revolutions, and rumors of war caused all the people to fear and bleed even more. The answer, said many, is to work hard and long. Charity and handouts are unneeded and wrong. The answer, said others, is to protect ourselves, keep the foreign goods out, and keep food on our shelves. The economist said it's supply and demand. The market decides who will fall and who will stand. So while millionaires shot hoops, their contracts all signed, some lost jobs and insurance, no help could they find. Then prophets of doom said we could not run or hide. There's no hope for anyone who's not on our side. Everyone, it seemed, had made their own special list of the nice and the naughty who would not be missed. In the end, we failed to find a real solution. Our faith, misplaced, had been in an institution. Whether a church, parliament, a priest, or a king, all had failed to change what humanity would bring. Even our religion was a means to an end. In God's name, we conquered both enemy and friend. So on the night before doomsday, we stocked our shelves, knowing now we were about to destroy ourselves. But then there appeared as a rescue from above, good news for a change, full of mercy and love. He seemed rather weak 
Just a babe in a manger, how could he help us in our self-imposed danger? But to the surprise of sleepy shepherds that night, a chorus of angels displaced darkness with light. It was awesome. It was frightening. It was doomsday. We thought we would see divine fury on display. Fear not, said the angel, for I bring you great news. Our God does not react in the way you would choose. So, to you this day, a savior is born instead of the doom you would have brought down on your own head. And we heard them proclaim as they rose out of sight, to all God grants peace. Goodwill prevails from this night. Good morning. Tell me if any of you resonates with this. Preparing for Christmas generosity means shopping during Black Friday and Cyber Monday to get the good deals for your family and friends. After all, the more you save, the more you can give. Some of you, some of you. Practicing a face of gratitude so that when you get a gift you do not like, you still are acting generous. Any of you? Any of you practice this? No. Oh, honest souls amongst us. You spend time curating carefully your Amazon wish list and sending that link to your friends and family so that you actually get what you want. That's generous, right? You take the time so that you get what you want. Posting on social media all of the amazing things that you acquired this season and giving thanks to the people who gave you the gifts. That's very generous of you, giving thanks to the people who gave you all of the things. That's being generous, right? There was a video that I saw on Instagram of Mary and Joseph FaceTiming with Jesus after Black Friday shopping. And in the video, they were showing Jesus the ear pods that they were got, and they were showing him how to use it, and they were showing him all of the great deals that they had just saved on, and they were like, Jesus, look at how these things work, and Jesus, look at how this, this new thing that we got that we saved money on. And I just remember watching this video going, what would Jesus actually think of this act of generosity? Now, the last gift I agreed with, it was a puppy. And they're like, look, Jesus, you have a new brother. I giggled at that fact, but I, the, the gift itself was great. It was a puppy. I agree with the puppy. But the act itself, this act of generosity, telling Jesus, thank you for these gifts. Look at what we got. Weren't all of these people so generous for giving us these things or for us being able to get these things so we could give it to others. Generosity. Christmas is generosity. 
What does generosity at Christmas mean to you? Does it mean becoming financially indebted? Does it mean running yourself ragged and doing even more to others, to help others at the risk of your own mental health? I remember one time at a place where I worked previous to this, previous, previous, previous to this, I'm not saying where it was, um, we had one of the annual staff parties. And at this staff party, we had a white elephant gift exchange. So at this white elephant gift exchange, everyone would bring a gift. It would be wrapped so nobody would know what the gift was. And at a white elephant gift exchange, you bring all of the gifts that are wrapped and you have up to three chances to steal the gift, right? And after three steals, you steal it based on the size and what you think might be inside, right? And after stealing a gift three times, that gift is now dead. It cannot be stolen again. And I remember, Everyone loved what the chaplains would bring. Everyone knew we gave the greatest of gifts. And so our gifts were stolen the fastest. And that year, our boxes were taken the quickest. And when they opened them up, inside the box that was so beautifully wrapped was a slip of paper that said, a donation was made on your behalf to Adra. <laughs> you bought a family a pair of chickens. Because of you, someone will have a sustainable source of food through eggs this Christmas. Amen. The disappointment on their faces and the sadness as they realized that each of us chaplains had brought the same type of gift was palpable. We didn't get them a thing that they could take home that year. They did not feel as though we had been generous. Friends, it's time that we flipped the script. Christmas generosity is not about the things. I want you to repeat after me. Christmas is not about the things. Some of you have not finished Christmas shopping, so I want us to say it one more time. Christmas is not about the things. I know this is generationally built into us, but I really want us to think about that this year. The word generosity traces back to the meaning of nobility, the goodness of race. Generosity is not about the giving but about realizing who we belong to. We are nobility. We are sons and daughters of Jesus. At Christmas, at New Year's, we are nobility in our darkest days. We are nobility on our happiest days. We are of noble birth because Jesus came and claimed us. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. Generosity is not about what we give, but about who we give, how we give, and why we give. 
There was another video I was working on. It was of, of our little kiddos. I wish I had finished piecing that one together. But Liam Davis shared with us earlier this week a video that said generosity meant being kind to people and having an open heart. Abby and Samantha Case said, give what you have, and Samantha said, being kind. Jacob Saparmo said, generosity means to care for others. From the mouths of our own babes. These are the lessons on generosity that the kids and I want to leave with you today. So let's change what it means to be generous Christians this Christmas. They say that the image we have of God is the most important thing about us. And that everything we do, whether at work, at home, at school, at church, stems from this one thing. For centuries, many have understood the God of Scripture to be angry, tyrannical, and unpredictable. A deity who is fundamentally at enmity with his creation, who's disappointed and embarrassed by our failures, a God whose anger is eased only by perfect obedience or by perfect sacrifice. Consequently, those who've believed in this gospel eventually realize how unsustainable perfection really is. And admittedly, admittedly who can blame them? Unrealistic standards, external and internal criticism, all while serving a God who's constantly offended. Truthfully, Advent paints a totally different portrait of God, one that is both beautiful and liberating. The disciple John puts it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Church family, the story doesn't begin with an angry God whose wrath must be appeased. God does not send Jesus because he's disappointed in you or me. Advent teaches us this simple yet profound truth. God loves you and longs for you so much that he decides to become breakable. He comes as a defenseless baby to bring about reconciliation, all because of his great love for us. I invite you to hear and believe the words spoken from heaven to humanity soon after Jesus' birth. Luke 2.14 says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. God's not disappointed in you. He's not embarrassed by you. You don't need to work for his affection or appease his wrath. God loves you and is proud to call you his child. On this Christmas, may you live in the beauty and the freedom of this love. Fulfillment. Since I like playing with words, what is the difference between these two words? In fulfillment, one has an I, one has a you, 
One's an adjective, one's a verb. So it begins with the adjective, then we have the verb, then we make it into a noun. Fulfillment. No, we, we could do it this way. We could say it's filled fulfillment, couldn't we? But what do we do with this word? Well, when I think of filled fulfillment, <clears throat> I think of this bowl. This, this bowl is filled full. And it does feel good when it's filled full. But I propose, and I believe most of us have experienced, that fulfillment that God gives is not as the world gives. It's not Amazon fulfillment. Fulfilled by Amazon, as of a couple of months ago, was selling 7,400 products per minute. That's worldwide. No, fulfillment comes rather as God gives, and Luke gives this really amazing picture. <clears throat> Luke 6:38. Give, and it will be given you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, the measure it will be given you. That is true filled fulfillment, fulfillment. You see, when we, when we look at this, fulfillment means to be full means there is no empty spaces. And in the world, we tend to clamor around looking to fill our emptiness in ways that are very dissatisfying. When I was young, the party place of my dreams was Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor. <clears throat> and growing up in Oregon, you could go and buy the Portland Zoo. It was 30 wonderful scoops of ice cream in one large Sunday. And as a young boy, I would dream of having a Portland Zoo all to myself. Well, having lived longer, I know from experience that I will be a much happier person if I share that Portland Zoo with 30 of my friends rather than trying to take all 30 scoops for myself. When we, be, when we experience life in community is when we have true fulfillment. My greatest memories are with people rather than with packages. It's the family 
acting out the Christmas story together. It's the family singing Christmas carols together. It's the family going on ski vacations together. It's the family sharing food together. And yes, we will share food together. It's presence rather than presence. Do you see the difference? Fulfillment comes best in relationship. Another idea of fulfillment is that it's the making good on promise. There's a promise in Haggai chapter 2 that talks about that what the Lord Almighty says is that in a little while I will much, once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. And what, or I would say who, is desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. I pray for that fulfillment. That God will make good on that promise that when his eternal presence will bring us eternal peace. For God loved the world so much, John 3.16 says, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I choose that fulfillment, filled fulfillment, which is God's response to my longing for him, or perhaps it's your response to his longing for you. Amen. I read this week that 293.6 billion emails are sent every day. That works out to 3.3 million emails per second. Some of you feel like most of those come to you. <laughs> Bless you. Our answers this morning to how are you are congruent with how things feel to us. I received the answer today full. It's been busy. It was a stressful week. It's just this season. No one said peaceful, relaxing, empty in response to how was your week. We have the challenge of being people with full lives and lots of distractions. During the course of a day, typically it says that every three minutes we find ourselves distracted to a new activity or problem or challenge. This is why presence matters so much. When someone has your attention and they have yours, it's something sacred and special. We spent a lot of different Christmases growing up. I don't know if anyone else is the child of divorced parents, but you're deciding where to be and, and what happens, and Christmas can look very different. 
I remember some Christmases that we did go to the Oregon coast, and when we went to the Oregon coast with my dad, the challenge was always, are you going to be a vineyard? Are you going to swim in the ocean in December? And I said, of course I am. So we'd run into the water and we would swim there and do other things. Uh, there were also times right after the divorce when there wasn't the normal Christmas decorations or things that we had had. So I, as my eight-year-old self, decided to take it into my own hands. And while there were no adults in the house, I took the saw from the garage and cut down a tree from the yard. <laughs> <laughs> I still laugh thinking about it, and set up a Christmas tree to the surprise of everyone <laughs> that I had decorated it with my brother uh, when they came in. All different Christmases, all different memories. Living creatures that were given at Christmas, presents that were desired and received, things that were desired and not received. All different memories come. But what I really wanted was presence. What I really wanted is what you want too, is someone's attention, undivided, right there with you. And so these words of scripture come to us fulfilling our deepest longings. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. How many of us have ever prayed, God, would you be with me? God, would you be with us as we travel right now? God, would you be with me as I go on this blind date that my coworker set me up on? God, would you be with me as I take this test right now? God, would you be with me as we go into the doctor and find the results of the scan? God, would you be with me as I start this new thing, whatever it is? But what does it really mean to ask for God to be with us, to be present to us, to have God's undivided attention? The gospel according to Matthew says in verse 18 of chapter 1, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home to be his wife, but he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. God with us. Give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins 
and he will be present with them in a way that God has not been able to be present with them up until now. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even while we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved. And Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news that all of humanity had been waiting for, that Jesus reorients our life, saving us from our sins by his very presence with us. Theologian Carmelo Alvarez, she says it this way, Christian mission is really a call to obedience rather than a quest for victory. It is a call to be faithful, not successful. Discipleship as the grace of God is a privilege of living this obedience in every situation. This call to live a different kind of life where Jesus reorients our lives, saves us from pursuing those fulfillments and those other things that we would have fulfilled and instead reorienting us to a life of true fulfillment. Matthew 1, verse 22, it says that this came in fulfillment to what the Lord spoke through the prophet. Just pause there for a moment, even in this very verse. It says, you see, 740 years before, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah foretold that Jesus would be born. This all happened to fulfill what was told to you before. Matthew pauses and says, you see, there's this presence of God, this God with us, this saving power has been a long time coming. Because from the very beginning, God has been working towards this climax of the presence of God with us. This is Christmas. Christmas is God with us. Christmas is the divine rescue of God. Christmas is what we have been waiting for. Moses said, was told, you can't look on the face of God and live and let me see just where you once were, the back of God, that God is holy and other and separate from us. But Matthew comes along and says, and yet God is the one with us and fleshed. The word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God who is not far off, separate, uninvolved, but God who is with us. This is what makes Christianity different than all other belief. Christ who came. No wonder everyone is rejoicing in the Gospels. No wonder the sky is filled with angels singing, singing with all their voice. No wonder the wise ones journeyed far. This is good news. God is with us. Matthew bookends his Gospel with this witness of God. I read it again this week. Matthew 1, he says, Emmanuel, God with us. In Matthew 28, he says, and I will be with you. Surely I will be with you to the end of the age. So I told you when I came that I would be with you. And at the very end, before you stop seeing me face to face, I want you to know that through the very end of the age, my witness with you will just keep going. This is the message for Matthew. 
the gospel story that God is with us. John uses these words in 1 John 1, 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim to you. And this morning, all of these words that you have heard from Elder Keturah and Pastor Mike and Pastor Linda and Pastor Gabe and Pastor Steve have all been what we have seen, what we've heard, what we've felt, what we've touched. We testify to this from our very lives, that Jesus is this to us. Jesus is compassion. Jesus is peace. Jesus is generous. Jesus is love. Jesus is fulfillment. Because that is what we have experienced ourselves. And I say the same thing to you today that I have experienced that Christmas is Jesus, God with us. I'd like to invite you to respond with this. It's another part. I've been really, really richly blessed by reading the epistles of Paul during the last month. And I'd like to invite you to respond. What shall separate you from the love of Christ, from the presence of Christ, from God with us? Shall trouble? Can someone answer no? Shall trouble? No. Shall hardship? No. What about persecution? No. Famine? No. Danger? No. Sword? No. I know, I skipped nakedness. Kids, I can say it so that you can laugh. Nakedness? Okay. In all these things, you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No, 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 there's nothing that will come between my presence with you not what you're facing now, but not what you'll face in the future. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be ever able to come between the very presence of God in your life, this love of Christ. Love who came, Emmanuel. Love who says, throughout all ages, surely I am with you. And nothing can separate me from you. Nothing. Not your fears, not your doubts, not your insecurities, not theological questions or things you can't explain, not your brokenness, not your failures, not your mistakes or your sickness, not your divorce, not what someone else did to you or is doing to you, not broken dreams. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The withness of God is secure. God is with you. And at the very heart of Christmas is Jesus. At the very heart of it all, for he is our compassion, and he is our peace, and he is our love. And he is our fulfillment. Jesus who is with you. Jesus who saves you. Jesus who is with me. Jesus who saves me. That's the one we turn our eyes to today. God with us.